شهد الله أنه لا إله إلا هو والملائكة والملائكة وأولو العلم قائما بالقسط لا إله إلا هو العزيز الحكيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين صلى الله وسلم وبارك على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه جمعين ما بعد فstarting from the book this book is called غاية الاختصار also known as متنبي الشجاع and also it's known as الغاية والاختصار غاية الاختصار والغاية والاختصار and also it was known as متنبي الشجاع because the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, Ahmed ibn Hussain al-Sahani, known as Abu Shuja, Abu Shuja, it was his kunya. And the topic is fiqh, as we're going to see from the beginning of the book, inshaAllah Ta'ala. So we'll start, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. The author, he says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin Khatim al-Nabiyyin, wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. And that is from the mannerisms of starting a book, that you start with the basmalah, seeking the help with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in what you're about to do, and the hamdalah, by praising Allah Azza wa Jal and describing Him with His highest names and attributes. Alhamd is to describe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with His highest names and attributes. وَصَلَّ ala Sayyidina Muhammad And then to send salah on the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam خَاتَمِ النَّبِيِّينَ The seal and the final of the Prophets وَعَلَىٰ آلِهِ وَأَصْحَابِهِ أَجْمَعِينَ And upon his family and his companions, all of them. Then the author rahimahullah ta'ala goes on to speak about what the book is about. So he says, سألني بعض أصدقائي أن أعمل مختصرا في الفقه. That some of my companions they asked me, or some of my friends they asked me to write a مختصر. يعني a مختصر a small book on fiqh. And here is is an important point here, and that is that he's talking about a مختصر a small book. عليكم السلام ورحمة الله وبركاته. And the reason the importance of these مختصرات of these small books of fiqh is that with it a person goes on to the higher parts of knowledge. A person is not going to be able to understand the, begin- the ends of knowledge until he understands the basics of it. As, a, as, a, as a, is narrated, is narrated, or Al-Bukhari, ta'ala, he said, but some, some, some people, they say it's narrated from Ibn Abbas about the ayah when he said, وَلَكِنْ كُونُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ بِمَا كُنْتُمْ تُعَلِّمُونَ الْكِتَابَ وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَدْرُسُونَ That he said that um, you, were told, you were told to be Rabbaniyin. Rabbaniyin is someone who nurtures someone. Someone who nurtures someone. And they say, يُعَلِّمُونَ الصِّغَارَ الْعِلْمِ قَبْلَ كِبَارِهِ And the way to nurture someone when it comes to knowledge is to teach them the basics of knowledge before the higher parts of knowledge. And the benefits of that are many. Learning the basics of knowledge before the higher parts have many benefits. From amongst them being, number one, is that it gives you a picture of what you're going to be able to learn. And it makes you ready for it. A person who hasn't studied at a university level or at primary school level or secondary school level, he's not going to be able to understand the knowledge that is taught at university level. Just like that, the knowledge of Islam is similar. That people, they, they start off with the basics of knowledge and, and they're given the keys to that knowledge in order to understand it when they get to the higher parts of knowledge. And just like um, some, of the, some of the scholars of the past, they said, that the food of the elder is the poison of the baby. And if you give baby a food that you eat, then the baby is going to die. 
Just like that a person who's given knowledge that he's not ready for, then that's going to cause big harm for him in terms of his life of knowledge, of learning. Harms such as not being able to understand what he is being taught. Number two is that he may cut off from knowledge, thinking that it's too hard. Right? And there's many different, many, many problems with that. So learning uh, the basics of knowledge is what makes a person get to a higher level. Just like a person who, just like a building. The foundation of the building is always, it takes longer, it takes long to build. Like when the foundation is strong, then the building, it comes up, it's built up, and it's strong and it stays there. As for a person who goes straight, for example, he wants to learn the knowledge of a hadith. And instead of going to Arba'in and Nawawi, or the other books of hadith, the other basic books of hadith, he goes straight to the Musnad of Imam Ahmed, or the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari. And when he goes to the Sahih of Imam al-Bukhari, he's going to learn, he's going to read some things. And the reality is that he's not going to be, under, be able to understand the majority of what the Imam is saying. Thereby wasting his time. Wasting his time. And number two, some, yani, uh, some people may even be deceived by it. By, they, th- they think to themselves that they've understood. And so they're reading Sahih al-Bukhari in a way that they have not understood. And then they get to, when they, when they, because they're deceived, they think that, okay, I've learned Sahih al-Bukhari, I'm ready to be teaching or something like that. They go on to make huge mistakes that the people of knowledge will laugh at. But the, pe- the person here, this person, he thinks he's knowledgeable. He's deceived by what he's read or what he's, he thinks he's been taught. And that happens because the person ha- hasn't got the understanding. So the mukhtasar in fiqh, learning a mukhtasar, a small book, especially in fiqh for example, it is important because it gives you an idea of all of the chapters of fiqh. Like we're going to see here, you're going to see in this book that the author, what he brings is bullet points. These bullet points are the whole book, is the whole book. In the bigger books of fiqh, which are 10 volumes and 20 volumes, these bullet points are explained in 10 pages. 10, 20, 30 pages. These bullet points that were with evidences for and against and the madhahib and who and why and how they extracted the evidences from it and all of these, these, this kind of information. Now for a person to know these bullet points, what's that going to do for him? It's going to make him ready to go to those big, bigger books of fiqh and then understand what they're speaking about. Like if a person goes straight to those big books of fiqh, he doesn't even understand the bullet points. How is he going to understand what comes after it? Impossible. Very, almost impossible for a person to do that. That's why they say that a person needs to start off with the basics of knowledge before they go into the higher levels of knowledge. Even if it means repeating it again and again and again until it comes firm in your heart. Then he says, fil fiqh in the subject of fiqh. And then fiqh, the word fiqh, what it means is deep understanding. Al-fiqh is al-fahmu-daqiq, is deep understanding in the Arabic language. That's what they use it for. Okay? Al-fahmu-daqiq, deep understanding. And the examples of the usages of this, of this word are a few in the Quran, for example. Like Allah says in the Quran, when Musa said, made dua to Allah, قَالَ رَبِّ الشَّرْحِ لِي صَدْرِي وَيَسِّرْ لِي أَمْرِي وَحْلُ الْعُقْدَةً مِنْ لِسَانِي يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي Allow them to understand my speech because Musa had a, had a problem with his speech. So he said, يَفْقَهُ قَوْلِي He made dua to Allah, allow them to understand my speech. Yani deeply, properly understand what I'm saying. And also when Allah says in the Quran about the people of Shu'ayb, when they said, قَالُوا يَا شُعِيبَ قَالُوا يَا شُعِيبُ مَا نَفْقَهُ كَثِيرًا مِمَّا تَقُولُ They said, oh Shu'ayb, we don't understand a lot of what you're saying. The Prophet, of Shu'ayb, the Prophet Shu'ayb. They're saying, we don't understand what you're saying. We don't understand this message that you're bringing. They, they didn't want to accept it. So the point is that fiqh here is used for deep understanding. 
And in the Salaf, the Salaf they will use the word Fiqh for the one who has deep understanding of the religion and acts by it. The Salaf, as Ibn Qayyim mentions by Ijma', they said that no one is called a Faqih until he has knowledge and acts by it. As for the subject of fiqh now, now this is a word, the word fiqh is a word that we know in Arabic language. Like in some, now the, the scholars, what they've done is they've taken this word and they've given it a specific meaning for us to understand. A terminology, in this, in this terminology. And when we, when we use the word fiqh, we mean this. Even though yes, fiqh is general understanding. Like when we use it, we mean something else. Like for example, hadith. The word hadith means speech. Like when we use the, the word hadith, what do we mean? The speech of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? But normally hadith means speech, any speech. Who is more truthful than Allah in speech? Means hadith is speech. Like when we use it, we use it and we intend the meaning of the speech of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So it's a specific term, and we have that in every language, even in English. You might have a word that's general, like when you use it for a specific meaning. Like what? You can think of an example. No one can think of an example of a lot of English? Not so much like that. For example, the law in one context could mean that just generally any rules and the law specifically means the law. Like the word law. Yeah, for example, like the law, something like that. The word, the word is used specifically. It's a general word, like it is used specifically. For example, fiqh. It also, no, 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 also means. I'm saying this is general, like it means they use it in a specific way, like for example. Hmm? I think they, they, they go back to like the holidays. No, the, the what's it called? Latin word. I think that's what they link. No, 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 Type of knowledge, like in, when they use it in schools, what do they mean? The knowledge of chemistry and biology and physics. That's what they mean. You understand? Like in, it's a general word. You understand? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the example. So fiqh now. The word fiqh is a general word. Like in, when the scholars they use it, fiqh here, they mean something else. And that is, ma'rifatu al-ahkam al-shari'iyya It is for a person to know the rulings of the sharia. Ma'rifatu al-ahkam al-shari'iyya. The rulings of the sharia. The ones that are pertaining to your actions. Knowing the rulings in the Sharia pertaining to the actions of a slave. Pertaining to the actions of a slave. As opposed to what? When you say Al-Ahkam al-Shari'ah, the rulings are in the Sharia, as opposed to the rulings are in different sciences like physics. We're not talking about physics rulings. We're not talking about biology. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about the rulings that are pertaining to the Sharia, Al-Ahkam al-Shari'ah. Al-talabiyya, talab, meaning the rulings that are pertaining to the actions of a slave, as opposed to the belief, where we learn aqidah. The belief, where do we learn belief? In a different subject called aqidah. So when they say fiqh, even though fiqh generally, does aqidah come into it? Uh, come into it, when it comes to the linguistic meaning, yes. Like when it comes to the specific meaning, we're talking about the ones that are, spe- that we're talking about the rulings that are pertaining to your actions, not beliefs. That's not what we study in this book, or in this subject. No, al-ahkam al-shari'iyya, al-ahkam al-shari'iyya, al-khabariyya, al-khabariyya. That's what they say, they say talab and khabar. 
طلب از اوت خبر از انوت نعم طيب so that is the word فقه على مذهب الإمام الشافعي في غاية الاختصار then he says and according to the مذهب الإمام الشافعي what do you mean by the مذهب الإمام الشافعي we mean the opinions that were noted down from Imam Shafi'i or the, what you could say the opinions that Imam Shafi'i extracted from the Quran and Sunnah what happened is that in the past we had Imams people of knowledge Allah says in the Quran when we, we need to ask someone of knowledge you need to ask someone something about knowledge he says ask the people of knowledge if you do not know and so when the scholars they were there they were the ones who would tell the people the rulings of halal and haram based on their understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah and these, this understanding came in the form of fatawa answers came in the form of books right came in the form of just the speech of, the, of, of an imam his understanding of the Quran and the Sunnah just happened to have been compiled in the past the people's opinions in the, in the time of the Sahaba, they wouldn't compile too many opinions. They would hate to do that. Rather, they would just compile the hadith. And that's why they would hate the, the compilation of fiqh. To write the speech of the people. Because they didn't want the speech of the people to be confused and to put, be put over the hadith of the Prophet Then when a time came that the hadith was now known, Imam Malik he came out and he compiled hadith. And, 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 and after that, there came the people who understood this hadith and they wrote it in a way, they wrote it down, the understanding of this hadith, or the ahkam, the rulings that come from these hadith, or the rulings that come from the, from the Quran and the Sunnah. And they extracted it, like Imam al-Shafi'i, like Imam Abu Hanifa, like Imam Malik. That's why Imam Ahmad never wrote, wrote anything. Imam Ahmad never wrote, except for hadith. He would say, don't write what I say, but write where I got it from. I mean, write the hadith. Don't take my opinion, take the opinion of the hadith, or wherever the hadith comes from. So Imam al-Shafi'i, his opinions were gathered. And these opinions, they were gathered and they were put into books. Whether it be the book that he wrote himself, Al-Um, whether it be some of the other books that he wrote himself, like Al-Risala, or whether it be the students, his students, when they summarized some of his books, like Al-Buwaiti, Al-Buwaiti, he took over the chair of Imam al-Shafi'i in Egypt when he died. Or Imam al-Muzani, he wrote Al-Mukhtasar al-Muzani. And you have Al-Buwaiti, he wrote Mukhtasar al-Um by Al-Buwaiti. And you have these different books that were written by the students of Imam Shafi'i. They wrote his opinions down. That's what they done. They wrote his opinion down. And the people after that, the scholars after that, what did they do? They wrote books like this, saying, okay, this is my understanding of what, this is the summary of the opinions of Imam Shafi'i in, in Tahara, Salah, Zakah, Hajj, and buying and selling. These are the, the basics, of the, the, the summary of Imam Shafi'i's opinions. That's all the madhab is. So that's why, and it just happened to have by the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that these four imams, and no doubt the reason why their madhahib have remained is because of something that they have in their hearts of righteousness and knowledge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose to, to keep their knowledge remained as opposed to many others. I'm not saying that the others were not people of righteousness. Like you know that Imam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he chose these imams to, for their knowledge to have remained. That's why even Imam al-Shafi'i he he used to say Layth ibn Sa'ad al-Misri, he was from Egypt. He lived at the same time of Imam Malik. And he said, Layth ibn Sa'ad was not less than Imam Malik in knowledge. Rather, he might have even been more knowledgeable than Imam Malik. Like Layth ibn Sa'ad didn't have any students to write down his opinions. That was the only difference. As for Imam Malik, then he had students. 
the people they used to come from him to come to Imam Malik from all around the world to the point that the hadith of the, uh, Tirmidhi that was narrated by Tirmidhi in his jami' when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said uh, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi was narrated that he said because some of the some of the scholars they consider it to be da'if but some of them they said it's hasan or authentic the hadith that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said يكاد يأتي على الناس زمان يضربون الأكاب يضربون أكباد الإبل لا يجدون أعلم لا يجدون أحد أعلم من عالم المدينة. that there will come a time where people they will take their camels seeking knowledge يطلبون العلم they will seek knowledge they take their camels and they will kick the camels يعني to to ride them يطلبون العلم they will be seeking knowledge and they won't find anyone more knowledgeable than the alim of Medina than the scholar of Medina. سفيان الثور سفيان بن عيينة he said this is Imam Malik. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was talking about Mamalik and others they say it was Umayr al-Umari Ubaidullah al-Umari Ubaidullah al-Umari That's why Abdullah al-Umari then he's weak in narrating Ubaidullah al-Umari was his brother they, He was strong and he said he was a scholar of Medina as well and Some of them said it was, it was Imam Malik So the point is that the Mamalik they just happened to have a lot of students by the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala A lot of students they would write his opinions Imam Malik wrote also the Muwatta his, his Muwatta which, which, which gathered his opinions and also the Mudawwana of Ibn al-Qasim he, wrote the, he asked questions to Imam Malik and he gathered books and similarly Imam Ahmed ta'ala, he had many students they would run to him even though he would, not, he would hate to write he would hate to write it down he would hate to write um, his opinions like he had students by the Qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who came and they would ask him known, and these books are known as the Masail of Imam Ahmed the Masail of Imam Ahmed Meaning the questions that were asked to Imam Ahmed by Harb al-Karmani, by Abu Dawood al-Sijistani, by um, Ibn Muhanna. All of these scholars, they, they were students, they wrote volumes, literally 20 volumes each. 20 volumes, just questions and answers by Imam Ahmed. And from this, his opinions were gathered together. They were put together. And that's how the mother of Imam Ahmed came about. The Imam al-Shafi'i from his um and from the Mukhtasaran. Al-Buwaiti, Mukhtasar Al-Muzani, and Al-Risala, and other books that he wrote. Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahullah, also, his students from Abu Yusuf, Muhammad ibn Hassan al-Shaybani, they gathered his opinions of, the opinions of Imam Abu Hanifa, and from them, from that came the, the books of the, of the Hanafiya. The point is that these opinions, they were just written down, and then they were, throughout time, they were summarized, and they were explained. Summarized such as books like this, explained such as Al Majmu' by Imam Al Nawawi. He explains the Muhaddab Li Shirazi, the Muhaddab, which is the opinions of Imam Shafi'i, nothing else. The, for example, you have the Mukhtasar Al Khiraqi in the Madhab of Imam Ahmed. He was, it was a summary of the opinions of Imam Ahmed. Then it was explained by Ibn Qudam Al Maqdisi in his Mughni. That's the Ibn Qudam Al Maqdisi. He explained the Mukhtasar Al Khiraqi. In, in, in his Mughni His Mughni is basically just an explanation of Al-Muqtasar Al-Khiraqi A 10 volume book All of those opinions It's just an explanation of a small book that's that long Similarly, Majmu' which is 25 volumes It's an explanation of a book that is that long Right? So all of this, what it means is that This Madahib is what? It's nothing other than the opinions of these Imams That were gathered together And people who are, people who are laymen Who do not know knowledge They were people who would follow this, these, these, these schools of thoughts these schools or these ideas, these opinions of these a'imma. Do we, does a person have to follow one of the four imams? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. A person doesn't have to follow one of the four imams. The only thing that we're binded by is what? Nothing but the Quran and the Sunnah. But, no doubt, the four imams, their opinions were very well put together. 
And so it makes it easy on a student of knowledge to learn fiqh in a systematic way and in a beneficial way that's going to make him understand fiqh when he, when he finishes and he's going to be able to go now to books of hadith, straight to the book, books of hadith when he understands the books of fiqh from the beginning to the end that he's, uh, he goes through the, the, the curriculum of fiqh, right? So that's all it is. It's just the, the opinions of these imams put together to make it easy for you to understand knowledge where it starts and where it ends. That's all it is, the, or the chapters of knowledge where it starts and where it ends, of fiqh, that specific subject of fiqh. Does a person have to, have to follow it? No. Rather, they have lines of poetry, which, they, which uh, or, or there's lines of poetry to explain uh, yani the, the four imams, all of them, they all rejected people to blind follow them in a way where they were mutaassibin, you're fanatic towards them. You say, I have to follow the opinion of Imam Abu Hanifa, anyone who doesn't follow his opinion is wrong. he said that it's not, it's not befitting for anyone to take my opinion until it is presented to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. No one should take my opinion until you see is it conforming to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. If it is, then take it. If it is not, then don't take it. Imam Dar al Hijra He said that Imam Malik, rahimahullah ta'ala, he was, at, he was sitting down and he was pointing towards the grave of the Prophet sallallahu in Al-Madinah. And he said, everyone, his speech is accepted and rejected, except for the one who's in this grave, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam Shafi'i said, if you see my opinion, go against the opinion of what the hadith says, from, you know a hadith, and my opinion goes against the hadith, then take my opinion and throw it against the wall. وأحمد قال لهم لا تكتبوا ما قلته بل أصل ذاك فطلبوا. he said أحمد ما أحمد he said don't write what I say. what I say don't write my opinions but write where I got it from. the hadith, the Quran, and the Sunnah. so all of these ayma they're they're going they're telling people going against blind following him fanatically. and that does not mean that it's now open open for a layman to go to the Quran and Sunnah and extract rulings. that's not what he, they mean by that. because they're they're speaking to students who know hadith. they're speaking to students who know hadith. But what they're saying is that if you know hadith, then follow the hadith. And if you know the, the, the principles of ijtihad, then if you get to that level, then follow that level. If not, then that's what they don't mean that you meant to go straight to the Quran and Sunnah and extract for yourself. No, in that case, you follow an imam. You follow a person of knowledge. You follow, you follow a person who you, you trust with knowledge, who you think they're going to guide you to the closest to the Quran and the Sunnah. Okay, so uh, that is what the madahib or the, these, these opinions, these four madhahib are by summary, okay? And so that's why it's important to learn Imam Ahmed, what did he say? Imam Ahmed He said Go back to what? I? Where I got it from, huh? Imam Shafi'i said Imam Shafi'i Now I want to say the opinion The, the speech of Imam Shafi'i for example when he was asked a mas'ala, he was asked something, a question, and he said, Qada bihi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam bikadha wa kadha. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, This is the answer. So the man said, Ataqulu bihi, do you take that opinion? 
So Imam Shafi got angry and he said, Aturani qad kharajtu min kanisa. Do you think I just come out of a church? Did I just come out of a synagogue? Did I just come out of a ma'bad, the, the majusi? I said to you, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, and you're telling me, do I take that opinion or not? Yeah, and this shows that the hirs al-tiba' how eager they were to follow the, the way of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so this is, there's, there's two extremes here. There's an extreme where some people, they say that you have to follow the four imams blindly and you have to only follow one of them. And if you go against them, then you're sinning. That's one, one, one extreme. And there's the other extreme now. You say that these madahib, they're, they're based on nothing. They're based on, they don't follow the hadith. And Imam Shafi and Imam Ahmed, they don't, they don't follow hadith. Imam Malik, one of the first people to ever write a book of hadith, he doesn't follow hadith. Imam Ahmed, the one who memorized one million hadith, as Abu Zur'at al-Razi mentions, he says, I saw, I said to his son, Abdullah, he said, your father memorizes one million hadith, alf alf hadith, which is one million, one thousand thousand, alf hadith, one million hadith. He said, did you hear, how do you know? He said, I heard them all from him, we revised together. Imam Shafi'i, the one who's saying this speech, do you think he's not going he's, he's to follow the hadith? These are, these are ulama of hadith, these are scholars of hadith before any one of us and anyone, anyone living in our times. And if they were living in our times, there would be no one even near to them in knowledge. So to say now that these madahib are based on nothing or just based on يعني, their, their opinions, and is, that's also another extreme. Rather we say that these madahib are there, these opinions of these imams are there for us to take and we can follow and we can look at the evidences and we can sometimes follow something else. That another imam takes instead of this imam, no problem. Like and again, the, in the end, at the end of the day, they are not infallible, and also they are not the Quran and the Sunnah themselves. And so that's the important thing to know. That's the that's the basically. So what's the what's the madhab? This book is basically just a summary of the opinions of Imam Shafi'i. That's why you're going to see that sometimes I'm even going to mention to you guys that this opinion is the opinion of Imam Shafi'i, and others they say something else. Maybe this one seems to be stronger. Wallahu a'lam. So it says, وَفِي غَيَةِ الْإِخْتِصَارِ وَنِهَايَةِ الْإِجَازِ This book is at the end of اختصار. It's very, very summarized. يَخِفُ عَلَى الطَّالِبِ دَرْسُهُ It's very easy for the student to study it. وَعَلَى الْمُبْتَدِئِ وَيَسْهُلُ عَلَى الْمُبْتَدِئِ حِفْظُهُ And it's easy for the beginner student to memorize it. وَأَنْ أُكْثِرَ فِيهِ مِنَ التَّقْسِيمَاتِ وَحَصْرِ الْخِصَالِ And it says in this book we're going to have a lot of categorizations. Hoping that for the reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Raghiban ila Allahi fi tawfiq lissawab Innahu a'la ma yashau qadiri wa ibadihi khabir Kitab al-Tahara This is the beginning of the books of fiqh Now fiqh is split up into four parts generally Some scholars they bring it, they make it more Some of them they make it less But generally the books of fiqh are split up into four categories Four categories The first category of fiqh is Ibadat, acts of worship the first category of fiqh is acts of worship. And what we study in this first category of fiqh, which inshallah is the plan that we finished by September, is purification, tahara. First thing is purification. Tahara. In tahara we learn about how to do wudu, purifying yourself. Why? Because tahara is a condition of the salah, which is the second thing we learn in this, in this chapter. So the second thing we learn in the chapter of acts of worship is salah. Is the prayer. So now tahara is a condition of the prayer, right? Purification is a condition of prayer. You have to have wudu. So because of that, we learn about all types, all ways of purification. The things that are pertaining to water, the utensils where you hold the water in, because that's where water goes. So we have to know about water. 
And what water, water, why do we learn about water? Because that's what we use to purify ourselves. Then what, how to do wudu, how to do ghusl, what breaks your wudu, what makes you have to do ghusl, a woman who's on the period, the rulings pertaining to a woman on a period. All of these things we learn in this chapter of Tahar and Mu'. As for the second chapter of Salah, then you learn about the Salah. The pillars and the conditions and the five daily prayers, the times, the different types of prayers, and the different ways of praying all these different types of prayers. Third one we learn about is Zakah. 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 Zakah is charity, the, 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 the second pillar, the third pillar of Islam, right? And you learn about this charity, how much you have to give, what you have to give, when you have to give it. Simply, I mean. Siyam, the fourth thing we learn about is fasting. The fourth thing we learn about is fasting. How to fast, when to fast, what not to do, when to fast, what to do, when to fast. Number five is Hajj. Or number four and five is Hajj. We learn about Hajj. And everything that's pertaining to Hajj. Now, what were these five things? What are these four, these four things? What are they? What do, we, what do we know them as? The pillars of Islam, right? Except for the Shahada. Because the Shahada, where do we learn it? In the knowledge of Aqeedah, in belief. But other than that, we learn about the four pillars of Islam. Right? Then after that, that's the first part of fiqh, that's ibadat. The second part of fiqh is al-mu'amalat. Mu'amalat, which is human interactions. Or you can also translate, you can also say transactions. Human interactions or transactions. And in it, we learn about different types of transactions in Islam, which we've already finished. We've covered it already in the past year or so. Or September, actually, since September. طيب. In it, you learn about different types of transactions, buying, selling, renting, musaqah, sharika, different types of contracts, loans, riba, all of these subjects we learn about. The third, third part of fiqh is al-ahwal al-shakhsiyya. Some say nikah, you can also say al-ahwal al-shakhsiyya, which is the, the fiqh of nikah, marriage, but it's more broad than that. It's, broad, it's more broad than just marriage, because it's, it covers, so we can say human relations maybe, we can say human relations. Taib or social relations. Al-ahwal al-shakhsiyya. Or nikah. In it you learn about marriage, you learn about divorce, you learn about the different ways of separation, you learn about the conditions and the, and the pillars of all of these things. The next thing, the next chapter that we learn about is Al-Jinayat, which is criminal law, which is law. And in it you learn about the different laws and its punishments, different sins that have punishments, and qisas, and then about jihad, and then you learn about al-iman al-nudur, those oaths, and then you learn about proofs in court, then you learn about the judge, who's, who's allowed to be a judge in court, who's allowed to be a witness in court, and things like that. This is the summary of what fiqh is all about. The whole of fiqh, you just learn that. Some scholars, they might make it into 10, ten different categories, but generally it is, it is those four categories. If they make it into 10, then it's just basically them splitting up each category a bit more than, than what I've done. Okay? Or if they make it into 9, 8, no problem. The, problem. the point is that this is what fiqh is all about from the beginning to the end. That's what you learn. If you learn this, then you know about the ahkam of the deen. That's what all of... Yani if, you're, if you know this, if you know this properly, you're able to get this small book of fiqh and tell me where is jinayat. I'm going to go to the Janet. I'm going to go to the end. There it is. You cut the hand of the thieves. <laughs> Where am I going to go when it comes to Hajj? The end of Ibadat. So around here. And uh, still Tahara. <laughs> you understand? The end of Ibadat, because the Ibadat is a bit longer. You go around here. Tawaf bil Hajj. 
huh? everything. This is a small book of fiqh. If you have a 20 book volume of fiqh, you're going to be able to do the same thing. You just know where everything is. You just need, you just need practice. Right now you heard it, like you need to know how long taha, how long tahar is. For example, remember I said Hajj was here. No, you have to remember that tahar ibadat is actually quite long. So it's almost majority of book, fiqh books, ibadat is going to be half of the book, half of the ten volumes, half of it is going to be ibadat. The rest is going to be the rest. You understand? So that all that's all fiqh is. Nothing else. Easy. Inshallah Taala. Allah says in the Quran, عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ. There's no hardship for you in this deen. And Allah said, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, in the deen of Yusr. This religion is easy. And Allah says in the Quran, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ The Quran is made easy for you. That's what the Quran is, so the knowledge of the Quran. This, all of this we're learning just from Quran and Sunnah. And it's easy. طيب. So, that is the beginning. Let's start with Kitab al-Tahara. Kitab al-Tahara, which is purification. These lessons, inshallah, are going to go around one hour and thirty minutes every time, inshallah. Hopefully. طيب. Al-Miyah. The first thing is al-Tahara. Al-Tahara, purification. Purification of tahara in this chapter of fiqh. What is the definition of tahara? At tahara is izalatul khabath wa zawalul no raful hadath wa zawalul khabath. It's for a person to remove from the state from themselves the state of impurity. To remove from themselves the state of impurity. And to clean or to and to remove physical impurity. You could also say uplifting the state of impurity and removing physical impurity. Similar. What do you mean by this? Look, look at now. I have to look at these two these two sentences in order to understand the definition of tahara. A tahara is. Removing from yourself or raising from yourself the state of impurity. What do you mean by state of impurity? In Arabic, that's called hadath. Hadath is a state of impurity. You're in a state where you're not considered to be pure. Meaning you're not salih, you're not able to pray. Or you're not able to touch the Quran. Certain things you're not allowed to do. Because of the state you're in. Is it physical? Can you see it? Can you see if someone has wudu or not? You can't. So this is hadath. Hadath is a state of not having wudu or not having ghusl. It's two types. Major hadath and minor hadath. Yani major non-physical impurity and minor non-physical impurity. Major non-physical impurity and minor non-physical impurity. When, why do I say hadath is non-physical impurity? Because you cannot see it. You cannot see it. Yani you cannot see if someone has wudu or not. But if someone does not have wudu, they are in a state of impurity. If someone does not needs to do ghusl or is in a state of janaba, then he's in the state of impurity. It's just different levels. Now the state of impurity when someone doesn't have wudu is called minor hadath. Al-hadath al-asghar. Minor hadath. Minor non-physical impurity. Minor non-physical impurity. And the state that a person's in when, when they don't have ghusl is al-hadath al-akbar. When they have to have a shower, a bath, then they're in a state of major non-physical impurity. It's called al-hadath al-akbar. Also known as janaba. Or hayd al-nifas. Depends. Period. طيب. Is that clear? So what's hadath? Hadath is a state of impurity. It can be major, it can be minor. If you don't have wudu, it's minor, minor state of impurity. And if you don't have ghusl, you need to do ghusl, then you're in the major state of impurity. In tahara, we learn how to uplift from yourself that state. You don't have wudu, how do I do wudu? That's all it is. 
طيب you don't you need to do ghusl how do you do ghusl that's all it is and everything that's connected to it and the second thing about tahara is that it is zawal al-khabath to remove physical impurity to remove physical impurity first of all the hadith of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and narrated by al-bukhari and muslim from ibn umar the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said la yaqbalu allah salata ahadikum idha ahdatha hatta yatawadda allah does not accept the salah of any one of you if you're in the state of hadith until you do wudu right so that's why we need to learn how to remove from ourselves, ourselves the state of hadith. Because you know, what, first of all, what puts me into hadith? And how do, you clean, how do I clean myself after I'm in the state of hadith? So that's why the Prophet said, Allah does not accept your salah if you're in the state of hadith. That's why we learn it. Because otherwise your salah is not going to be acceptable. Second thing we learn is zawal al-khabath, to remove physical impurity. And removing the things that the sharia are considered to be impure. The Sharia considers urine to be impure. Therefore, we need to learn what does the Sharia consider to be impure and how to remove it. That's all it is. That's what that sentence is. We need to learn how, what, the, what the Sharia considers to be impure. We're going to learn that in the Najasat. And how to remove it. That's all it is. So what is Tahara? All it is is to learn how to remove the state of impurity and to learn how to remove physical impurity. Exactly. That's what we're talking about Tahara. So now, the reason, the first thing that we talk about in Tahara is water. Why? Because water is the thing that we use to remove this impurity in both situations, whether it be Hadath or Khabath. Do I have to translate Hadath again? Everyone knows what Hadath is? Everyone know what Hadath is? Who doesn't know what Hadath is? It's the last chance. Otherwise, you're going to be lost for the Hadath. Hadath is the state of impurity. Hadath is the state of impurity. Meaning, if you don't have wudu, you're in a state of hadith. Is that more clear? Is that more clear, guys? Hmm. Hadith is wudu is a minor. Hadith is two types. There's minor, major. If you don't have wudu, then it's minor hadith. If you need to do ghusl, then it's major hadith. Hayd. Hadith. لا يقبل الله صلاة أحدكم إذا أحدث حتى يتوضأ لا يقبل الله صلاة أحدكم إذا أحدث حتى يتوضأ نعم طيب المياه so the first thing we we talk about when it comes to purification is water why because that's the instrument that you use to purify yourself so he says المياه التي يجوز بها التطهير سبعة مياه the different types of water you're allowed to use to do طهارة what water are you allowed to use to purify yourself before we go into this I want to give you guys a, pr- a principle, a qa'id, and I want you guys to always write down the qawaid, the principles that I give you. That is number one, this, this principle is, all water is pure until proven in, um, impure. All water is pure until proven impure. The foundational ruling when it comes to water is that it's pure. Until you can prove it's impure. Tayyib. There's a, there's a pond outside, a small pond outside, that people walk in all the time. Is it pure or is it impure? Pure. It's a pure, but people walk in it with their shoes. Yeah. Yeah. You just see what's on the shoes. It's just proven that it's impure, because you just said... It's just shoes. You never said the shoes are dirty. Yeah. What's on the shoes? Huh? What's on the shoes? I don't know. Then it's pure, right? So, people walk in it with their shoes. Can I prove it's impure? Until I can prove that people's shoes were impure and then it touched the water, the water's pure. Until you can prove it, it's pure. Do you understand? 
A lot of people they think, oh, but people, you just walked outside with those shoes. Tayyib, the shoes, can you prove that I have najasa on my shoes? No, you can't, therefore it's pure. The water is always pure until you can prove that it is impure, it is najasa, it's impure, until you can prove it. And najasa is not, the floor is not najasa. The Prophet the earth was made a place that I can use to purify. So how can it be impure itself? I can use the earth to purify. Do tayammum, right? And I was able, and the, the floor was made a masjid. We're allowed to pray on the floor. The Prophet said, The earth was made a masjid for me. I can pray on the floor. Right? So now, how is it a proof that people, I walked outside of these shoes, therefore I can't walk inside it, or, or therefore my shoes are impure? That's not a proof. Impurities are known in the Sharia. We all know what najasa is. It's blood, urine, this kind of thing. These are impure impurities, najasa. Everything else, you have to prove it. You have to prove that urine went inside the water. Okay? So this is the foundation rule when it comes to water is that it is pure. So therefore when he says the water they are allowed to use to purify yourself, is what is the need for it? What's the need for him to say that? Seven types of water. When all water is all water's pure until proven impure. The reason why he does that it's just simply because these are the types of water that have been narrated in the Quran or the Sunnah that we can use it. For example, Ma'u Sama'. Allah says in the Quran, Water that comes from the sky, rainwater, we can use it. He says rainwater. The first type of water you can use is rainwater. Why? Because Allah says in the Quran, because we sent down from the sky rain that is used to purify. Surah Al Furqan. We sent down from the sky rain, water that it can be used to purify. Right? البحار, water from the sea. Why? Because the hadith of Abu Hurairah, the Prophet said, When he was asked about the water of the sea, he said that it is pure water and the dead, the dead animals in the sea are clean. Therefore, you can use sea water to purify. You can use it. He says, The water from the river. Because different hadith was. That's different, sorry. The other one, the hadith of the Prophet said, If there was a river at the, at the door of any one of you, you had a river at, the, at your door, would there be any dirt left? No. Just like that, the five daily prayers. So the river is pure. Right? Water from the well. Why? Because the Prophet and the people of Medina, they used to do wudu. From the water of Bi'r Bida'ah. They used to do, they used to do wudu from that, from that river. And also, from a spring. Because the spring comes from the sea. Springs, they come from the sea water. Water from ice. And snow. Because the, because the, the one that the brother mentioned. In the dua. Clean me with water and thalj and barad. Water and snow, snow and ice. Therefore, we can use all that water. Point is, all of that is just there. Like in the point is, any water you can use. Any water that you can see, you can use it. Until you can prove that it's impure. طيب? So from this, we understand that water is splits up into four categories. Water splits up into four categories. In terms of purity and impurity. Or usage. Water splits up into four categories. <laughs> He says that water is in four categories. Number one, the first category of water is طاهرٌ مطهر. Now this one is about, it's about to get a bit complicated. Okay, It's about to be, get a bit complicated. Like in, it's not too complicated. Just don't overthink. A lot of people, they overthink. And I like, uh, I think, uh, what I've realized from teaching fiqh, a lot of students is that they 
they have a preconceived idea and they don't understand because of that preconceived idea like for example the, the praying with the shoes or the shoes being not, not being impure they have in their head that you cannot pray with shoes so when you say about shoes and they say no but I swear no they don't understand it preconceived ideas take out any preconceived ideas you have a lot of times people's knowledge is based on what they heard and it's not based on actual knowledge so take out a lot of preconceived ideas and then inshallah you won't get too confused here but it's still it's a bit confusing the first category of water is water which is pure and can be used to purify water that is pure and can be used to purify what do you mean by pure tahir what I mean by pure tahir is that in and of itself is clean that water if it goes on you I don't have to clean it off because it's pure what do I mean by mutahir? It can be used to purify, purify. I can use it for wudu, ghusl, and to clean impurities. I can use it for wudu, ghusl, and to clean impurities. You guys understand what tahir means? Tahir means what? At the back. What does tahir mean? No, tahir by itself. Water that is pure. What do I mean by water that is pure? No. What do I mean by water that is pure? Tahir, and I said mutahir means something different, huh? No There's no impurity in it. Yeah, and if it goes on you, you don't have to clean it. You don't have to clean it off. Yeah, it can be on you. What do I mean by mutahir? It can be used to purify. What do I mean by that? Hands up. Hmm. You can use it for wudu, ghusl, or to clean yourself. Is that clear? What do I mean by tahir, mutahir? So everyone understand that. I'm not going to repeat this word in English no more. Tahir, mutahir, that's it. I might repeat it, but inshallah. طيب غير مكروه and it's not disliked. وهو الماء المطلق. This is all water. يعني all water is like this until it comes out of this category. Until you can. Now we're going to see the last, three, the rest of the three categories. They are exceptions. So all water is pure and can be used to be pure to purify until you can prove that it's not under this category. It comes under one of the following categories. And even the second category, you can still use it. Like we're going to mention it here. He says وطاهر, The second category is وطاهر وطاهر Water which is tahir. What do you mean by tahir? Pure in and of itself. Pure in and of itself. If it goes on, you don't have to clean it off. What does it mean? Hmm. You can use it to purify from wudu, ghusalan, and clean yourself. And it's also disliked according to this madhab. Makruh is disliked. What is this like? What is water that's pure itself can be used to purify but is disliked? He says, It is ma'ul mushammas. Al-ma'ul mushammas is water that is in a metal tin that's in the sun, in a hot sun. Water in a metal tin that's under a hot sun. They say it's pure, you can use it like it's disliked. Why? Because they have the hadith of Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu and Aisha, or the Aisha radiallahu anhu said, because this type of water, it gives you leprosy. It can give leprosy. Like in the hadith is weak. The hadith is weak. This is the opinion of Imam Shafi'i. They take it from the, from the hadith which is weak. And they also take it from some of their medical research. Where they believed in those days. So what do we say? The hadith is weak so therefore we don't, that we don't look at that. The hadith doesn't affect the ruling. Because it's weak. What do we say? We say, okay, well, there's medicine left now. If medicine tells us that it gives us leprosy, then he's correct. And if medicine tells us it does not give us leprosy, then he is 
wrong and therefore we don't we say even water that's in the metal tin that's underneath the sun is allowed it's not even disliked did you understand yeah. and i know rahimahullah ta'ala from him from from one of the opinions that he mentioned is that some of the shafi'i they say no it's not disliked because this is not proven medically therefore we, we don't say it's disliked is that clear like it's good to understand the opinion that's the reason why i mention it طيب. is that clear hmm. no because harmful anything harmful is not allowed the third category is water which is tahir, which is pure. <coughs> Meaning, in and of itself, it's pure, right? If it goes on, you have to clean off. You don't have to clean off. Lakin is ghayru mutahir, but it's not pure. You can't use it to purify. So, therefore, you can't use it for what? For wudu or ghusl or, or washing yourself. What type of water is that? It's two types. Number one is الماء المستعمل Water which has been used I'm going to explain what that means right now Water that has been used What do we mean by water that has been used? Water that has been used means water that has been used For wudu or ghusl by someone else So someone he got water, he done wudu And then the water fell back into a bucket Are you allowed to take that bucket of water now and use it for your wudu? No But if that water goes on you, is it dirty? No but you can't use it for another wudu. What's, the, what's the, 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 the evidence for that? Is the fact that the companions, they were amongst each other in a desert, traveling, no water, very little water. No one would use the wudu of someone else's water, the wudu water of someone else. Yeah, and someone would do wudu, they, if they were, if they was allowed, then they would go to that water, instead of wasting someone, another water, they would go to that water and use it again for their own wudu. And then again and again and again, one person would do wudu, would be enough for everyone. And the companions never narrated from them that they've done that. From this we understand that water that is used like that is not allowed. Water that water is not allowed. That water is not allowed to be used for wudu, ghusl or removing impurity. Is that clear? That's what we mean by ma'al musta'mil. That's number three, huh? What's number three again? Category, what's the category? Hands up. Tahir ghayr mutahir. Pure, but cannot be used to. Purify طيب. The second the th- second category of this third category is المتغير, Water that has been changed Water that has been changed And what we mean by water that has been changed <coughs> Is water that is no longer considered to be water A liquid that's no longer considered to be water For example tea If someone wants to get tea And they spill it on you can I pray with that tea spill on me? Can I? Can I? Yes. You can't pray with it. Why? Because it's not impure, right? Tea is not impure. So I can pray with it. So I don't have to wash it off. So therefore it's tahir, right? I don't have to wash it off. Like, can I use tea to do wudu? No. Because tea is no longer water. It's no longer called water anymore. It's now considered to be changed to orange juice, to tea. What about water which is a bit muddy? It's still considered to be water. Therefore, you can use it. Do you understand? If it changes, if something you add changes it to something else, it's no longer considered to be ma water. Then now you can't use it anymore. You add something, you can't use it. You can't use it for wudu or ghusl anymore. Is that clear? Hmm. But is this connected to the, the smear of it being, being named that, or even if it's not named that, but it's reality has changed? If it's, yani if it's reality has changed, and, oh, and the, how do we know the reality has changed? By people, what they call it. But if you dump the muddy water, it's, it's still water, right? But it's muddy water, like rose water. 
Now, like in rose water, is not considered to be water, according to those people. And rose water is something that they add to water to make it flavor, to make it to flavor. Muddy water is just muddy water, it's mud on the floor. It's like water that's in the pavement. It's in rain. It's not the same. Rose water is not allowed. You can't use it. Orange juice, you can't use it. Tea, you can't use it. Hmm. So it's not based on like, how it looks, how it tastes, or the color? No. It's not about how it looks, how it tastes, the color. It's only najasa. That's najasa. That's impure. Like in this one, it's according to what people know to be water. Nobody knows that to be water. People call it muddy water. No, they don't. This is what's wet. It's water on the floor. No, but if you see like a puddle and like grass. What do you call a puddle? Puddle is like muddy water. It's, for example, if you take a cup of it, it's not water. It's, it's muddy water. Mm. So you have a preconceived idea of what water is. Water is what you can drink, right? According to you, that's what you're thinking, right? No, not only because um, there's other types of water. This, this, this. Oh, I had a it's, it's changed the, the name. Talk about the name here. Mm. The name's changed. That's what I was saying. Yeah, and is the name. If I see water on the floor, do you guys not consider it to be water? Oh, it's it's still water. I'm asking you guys. I don't know. I'm asking you. Uh, um, he wouldn't. Okay, what else? What about you guys? It's still, still considered to be water. Huh? Yeah. Still water. Huh? <laughs> Just on the floor. Just water that's spilled. No, no, I'm talking about water that's spilled. I'm talking about water that's like muddy puddle, like a puddle that's muddy. Hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you about a dirty river, the River Thames. It has water in it. Mm. No, no, no. For example, you see. Like, literally like a puddle. Like of water. It's mud. It's mixed with water. So yeah, water. the River Thames, for example. But it's the River Thames, a river. It's not something else. It's mixed with mud. Yeah, it's mixed with mud, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, this, it's a funny example. I'm thinking, like, you know, like Peppa Pig, when they used to jump on that. No, I never watched Peppa Pig. <laughs> <laughs> I never watched <laughs> No, about, like, I didn't watch that. Muddy, muddy puddle, where the, the puddle is muddy, like it's like makes your yeah, muddy. yeah, just like water when the bus is going past and it spills on you. Mm. It's water still. It's just it's just different color kind of water because it touched the floor. Okay. River Thames, for example, is a good. I think it's a good, good idea. River, River Thames is very dirty, like it's still water. Mm. Mm. So why is flavored water not considered water? That's a good question. Flav flavored water, why is it considered water? Yeah, and it's not considered water according to the people. They they know they know for the scholars when they mention it, they mention rose water is not considered to be water for them, because no longer considered to be, yani, the water in its natural state. Even though that you can say it's not, you know, it is, it is the water in its natural state. It just fell on the floor. Okay. Not necessarily, because sometimes they talk about the water that comes from the rose that you squeeze from the rose and it comes out. That's different. Or orange juice. Squeezed out, it's now juice. Still had water in it though. Hmm. So, do you find out for like sparkling water? Sparkling water, I never asked about it. <laughs> sparkling water, I never asked about it, man. Can you repeat the second point about the, the water inside the tin? Water inside the tin? Yeah. That's under the sun. Disliked because it causes leprosy according to those scholars. Like in the correct opinion is that it's not disliked because it doesn't cause leprosy. Hmm. Is that clear, guys? There's a question at the back. Alhamdulillah. Is that clear? So water that's been changed is no longer considered to be water. Like if you, if you do research on that, tell me, inshallah. So water that's been changed by pure, by something pure, of course. And it's been changed by impurity, then it's no longer considered to be pure. Is that clear? Like it's considered by something pure, like tea, orange juice. What's it called? Squash. That's the word. Naam. The next one is The fourth category is called Ma'un Najis Impure water What do you mean by impure water? It's water that you cannot use 
to purify yourself. And if it goes on you, you have to clean it off. It's impure water, dirty, najasa. Impure. Now, there's. This is a bit complicated here now. So listen. Najasa falls into water. Najasa falls into water. What happens to that water now? There's two situations. Number one is if the water is a large amount of water. That water, the amount of water is a large amount of water. Then we say that that water is still pure, even though Najasa fell into it. What is a large amount of water? A large amount of water is what the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. Ibn Umar he said, the Prophet said, If water reaches the amount of two qullas, qulla, then it never has, it never takes any impurity. Meaning, impurity can fall into it, it still doesn't, still doesn't become impure. Is that clear? Two qullas. Two qullas is approximately, who has the book, what does it say? The book says 216, huh? Some say 216, some say 190 liters of water, liters. Two qullas. Where do we get that measurement from? The qulla, qulla, is a jug that was made by the tribe of Hajar. They were a tribe in Ahsan, Yemen, the area. They would make these huge jugs, and they were known for these jugs that they would make. And the Prophet ﷺ describes it in the hadith of Al-Isra' Al-Mi'raj. When he saw the Sidratul Muntaha, the tree, the last tree that no creation can go past after a Jannah. In the Quran. That tree, the Prophet ﷺ described it and he said that its, its, the, its leaves were like Adhanul Fiala, were like the ears of elephants, how big the, the leaves were. And its fruits kaqilali hajar. And their fruits were like the qilal, the qulla, that jug of hajar, the tribe. Okay? So the fruits, of, they, were, they were very big. So now the Prophet said, if water reaches the amount of two qullas, two of those big jugs, then it doesn't take any impurity. Meaning if impurity falls into it, it doesn't become impure. Because it's two qullas. It's reached the amount. Exactly. So how many liters were the jugs? One each. Here's what I'm saying, two of them approximately was 216 or 190, so it's half it. Yeah, yeah let's just say 190, be safe. Hmm. Sorry? Yeah, it's water, but it's not just impure water. It's impure water. No, if Najasa falls into it, then it becomes impure. And let's say you've got one liter of water. Then one drop of urine goes into that one liter of water. Mm. You can't use it now. It's nejis, that water is impure now. Like in, let's say, let's say we have a big bathtub, 100, 200 liters of water, or 300 liters of water. Someone urinates a bit in it. It doesn't change. You still use it. See the difference? See the difference? Hmm. So how much nejis would need to go into this to cool for it to change? Nothing. Allah For it to change? Yeah. When it changes, taste, color, smell. No. I'm going to mention that now. Unless now. So if you have a large amount of water and impurity falls into it, then does it become impure? If you have a, low, a, low, a small amount of water and impurity falls into it, 
and then straight away it's impure, even if it doesn't change. Now, one more last thing, which is that if it is a large amount of water and, and, and impurity falls into it to the point that it changes now, changes color, taste or smell, then it becomes impure. So it doesn't become impure unless it changes taste, color or smell. This is my no difference of opinion here. And if it changes taste, color or smell, then it's impure now. Khalas, done. Is that clear? Do you guys understand the categories of water? So you have impure water. What's impure water? Impure water is water that is najasa fell, fell into it. And it is below qullatain. Or najasa fell into it and it's above qullatain but it changes. Then it's impure. Other than that, it's pure. That's a whole topic. That's a whole topic we're going to take, inshallah. What's najasa now? We're going to take that, inshallah. Next chapter, literally. Oh, well, it's not next chapter. Like in, I will put it here, inshallah. That's why I, normally when I come here, I, we start with the najasa. So you said that um, it is below quality mm. and the uh, impurity touches and it doesn't change color, smell, or taste, mm. then it's still impure. It is below quality. Yeah. Okay. And this is the opinion of Imam Shafi and the Imam Ahmed. Okay. No, yeah, two kullas. Kullatain means two kullas. Yeah, yeah. 190 liters exactly, approximately. Yeah. Uh, so what if it's a hot kullatain and it's either changed color, taste, or smell, but the people still consider it to be water? For example, the, the River Thames has changed taste, color, and smell by impurity. If it changes by impurity, it's impure, even if the people consider it. Mm. Yeah, and it's not because we're not. This is not the third category anymore. We're in the fourth category, this is impure water. Yeah. Yani if someone has a one litre bottle of water and someone has a little bit of urine in it, it's still considered to be water, but it's impure water. You get it? No, because the terms of other stuff, I'm just wondering. Mm. Is it clear now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is well and then now he brings what qullatain is. Qullatani is ish. Well qullatani khamsumiati ritalin bil iraqi. One five hundred rital. Rital is their measurement of of, of water. Iraqi, according to that measurement, 500 rital. According to us, 190 liters. Liters, not milliliters, liters. Here, this chapter speaks about the impurities and <coughs> how impurities can become pure. First of all, he doesn't speak about impurities. Impurities brings it at the end of the book. Or not the end of the book, sorry, near the end of Tahara. But here he brings, he speaks about the impurities that can become pure. And we're going to speak about it after. Like in, I'll give you the impurities. What is considered to be najis in the sharia now? Just because of what the brother said, it makes sense to put it right here, right? It makes sense to put it, what is najasa now? We said if najasa falls into water, what is najis? Najasa is al-aynul mustaqdaratu shar'an. It is something that the sharia considers to be impure. Something that the sharia has considered to be impure. Something that the Sharia has considered to be impure. As opposed to something that a person considers to be impure. Society considers to be impure. Yani saliva. Saliva. Is it impure according to us? According to us? Do we see it to be nasty? We say consider but is in the Sharia is it impure? No. Saliva, if it goes into water, you can still do wudu with it. Saliva is not impure. So therefore we have to we understand from this that the things that are impure are whatever the Sharia tells us is impure. 
the foundational ruling with everything is that it's pure until the Sharia tells us it's pure, it's impure. Yani everything is pure on the earth until we can prove it's impure from the Quran and Sunnah. That's the principle. Just like everything is halal on the earth until you can prove it's haram to eat from the Quran and Sunnah. Exactly. That's the principle. I want you to write down. Two qullas. Qullatain means two qullas in Arabic. It can never reach impurity until it changes taste, color, or smell. By the impurity. And the impurity changes its taste, or the impurity changes its color, or the impurity changes the water's smell. Exactly. Does everyone know what qullatain is? Everyone understood that one? You understood it? They say it's bad manners to ask if, if you understood it from the teacher. Why? Because someone might not understand it, they'll say, yeah. And so you made them lie. So I shouldn't ask if you understood it. If you're a jama'ah, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, I'm going The things that are considered to be impure in the Sharia. The things that are considered to be impure in the Sharia. Number one, every animal that you can't, cannot eat. Every animal that you're not allowed to eat. <coughs> what are the animals that you're not allowed to eat? The animals that you're not allowed to eat are number one, any animal that is a predator that has canines. Any predator that has canines. And a carnivore that has canines. For example, hyena, difference of opinion. Lakin? And that's the only one difference between lions, tiger, jaguar, leopards, cats. But cats are not considered to be impure, they're an exception. Cats are an exception. No, cats are an exception. Dave? Number two, so you're not allowed to eat cats. You're not allowed to eat cats, but they're not impure. You're not allowed to eat them, but they're not impure. Because we have the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu because cats, they are everywhere, so you can't really stay away from them. So the Sharia made it easy for us. You don't have to stay away from cats. They're not impure. Hmm. How come there's an exception with the hadith? No, some scholars, they mentioned that. There's a difference of opinion. Like in Allah, it's haram. It's haram. It's not allowed. Hmm. How do you notice, um, in the Torah, they put Yeah, the nudges in, in itself, meaning the, 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 if, it, if it moves on you, if any of its parts moves on you, it's saliva or any wet part moves on you, then you have to clean it off. Hmm. According to some, yeah, no. Hmm. Is it a question? Hmm. Uh, no. That's, that's the first thing you're not allowed to eat, right? Number two is any bird that hunts with claws. Birds that hunt with claws. And birds of prey. Birds of prey. Such as eagles, forks, owls. Falcons, these kind of birds, they're not allowed to be eaten. Like clear? Um, the third type of animal that's impure is pigs and dogs. Pigs and dogs. Pigs and dogs. The fourth type of animal they're not allowed to eat that's impure is any animal that is considered to be Hmm. Any animal that is mustaqdar, yani is, 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 oh sorry, any animal that we've been commanded to kill in the Sharia. Any animal that we've been commanded to kill in the Sharia. For example, snakes, rats, rats, rats. 
Yeah, lizards, sah. Scorpions. These animals have been commanded to kill, therefore you can't eat them, and therefore they're impure. Hmm. One second. Hmm. Oh, if you see it, you kill it. Is that what you said? Yeah. I always said, do you see when you kill it? No. Um, if you see it, you kill it, yeah. If you see a snake, you kill it. Straight away. Straight away. Even if you're in Salah. Even if you're in Mecca, in Haram. You kill them in Hill and the Haram. Even if you're in Mecca, you kill them. Mecca is not allowed to kill anything. Like in those animals, are allowed. Because they're minal fawasiq. They're harmful animals. Hmm. I was going to ask uh, a specific topic, but there's a specific animal. I can't remember that. It was said that uh, it blew on a flame of fire of Ibrahim. Frogs. It blew on the fire. The lizard, that's the gecko. The lizard. The lizard. That you see you see it in Mecca a lot. You see them in, it's in the walls of your house. Tayyib. The next one is animal they're not allowed to eat, but it's still pure. So it doesn't come under this category, to be honest. Like in, just as a benefit, you're not allowed to eat them. Any animals that have been commanded not to kill. So it says haram to kill in the Sharia. For example, Bees, you're not allowed to kill a bee. Ants. Hoodhood, the hoodhood bird. Frogs. And frogs. So what's this if these touch us with? No, these are pure. Yeah. This is not nothing to do with Najasa now. Uh -huh. This category is nothing to do with Najasa. I said, because the Najasa is anything you're not allowed to eat, right? Yes. Like in here, there's an exception, which is you're not allowed to eat them, but they're still pure. Which are birds, ants, hoodhood, and frogs. Hmm. You can't eat and you can't kill. We can't eat. I'm talking about what you can't eat here right now. So any animal we've been commanded that we're not allowed to, we're not allowed to kill, they're not allowed to eat ever. But are they impure? No, it doesn't come under impurity. It's just as a benefit on the side. Yeah. The only time allowed to exception is when they're about to harm you. Other than that, you're not allowed to kill them, because the prophet of the prophets of Allah burnt uh, burnt ants. And Allah revealed to him that you've killed, you've burnt an army that prays Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ants, they praise Allah. Is that clear? Yeah, and if they're going to harm you, if they're, they're biting you and stuff like that, then it's no problem. Harm. No, no, no. If it's a nuisance, then you just move them. Allahu Then you have to call, ask a person knowledge. And when you get in that situation. Yeah. Huh? Allah infestations. Allahu alam. Second type of najasa is everything that comes out of these uh, of these animals. Every liquid that comes out of these animals. <coughs> Obviously, you said the animals you can't eat. From amongst the animals you can't eat are human beings. You can't eat human beings. Like in the are they impure? No, it's an exception. And also another exception of that is also where the, the animals you cannot eat but they're impure. Sorry, sorry, they, they, they're not impure but you cannot eat them. Are animals that don't have a blood bloodstream. Animals that don't have a bloodstream are not impure. Ants, they're not impure. Bees, flies, they're not impure. Flies are not impure. So what animals are that? You can't eat. Animals you can't kill. Animals you can't kill, is that what you mean? No, we can't eat any of this. this the, whole, the whole thing we're talking about is things you can't eat. Animals you cannot kill, you cannot eat them. 
What are they? Ants. Hood, hood. Get the categorization very right, because you guys are getting confused now. Huh? So right now we're talking about animals you cannot eat. We're talking about, first of all, we're talking about najasa. What is najis? Animals you can't eat are najis. What animals can you not eat? I'm listing them. From amongst those animals that you cannot eat are animals that you're not allowed to kill. Those animals are ants, bees, hood hood, and frogs. But they're not najis. They're not impure. It's an exception. So, uh, <coughs> would you say uh, animals that you can't eat that are dead? Or as in, for example, randomly, if uh, one of the animals that you must play are impure, they touch you, that can't as you being impure? No. If it goes on, if, it, if the saliva goes on you, or something like that goes on you, then, it, then you have to clean it off. And you cannot eat them, so you can't see a snake and kill it and eat it. Or a cat, you can't eat a cat. طيب. The third exception of these animals are animals which are, oh sorry, the, the next animal that you cannot eat also is a, a donkey. A donkey. Donkeys, don't like to eat donkeys. But donkeys are not impure. So it's an exception as well. The next one is everything that comes from any liquid that comes from these animals are impure. So the milk of a lion is it impure or impure? impure? Impure. The saliva of a lion is it pure or impure? Impure. 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 The third thing is al maytat. Al maytat. Animal which is considered to be maytat. Maytat is an animal that, was, that died without being slaughtered Islamically. An animal that died that was not slaughtered Islamically. Any animal that was not slaughtered Islamically and it died is considered to be maytat. In an animal which is dead. Yani roadkill, for example. Roadkill. Or animal that just it was there and it just died of old age. It's called meta. It wasn't slaughtered. Any animal that you slaughter but you weren't allowed to slaughter it in the first place. Like a lion. You try to slaughter a lion. Are you allowed to slaughter a lion and eat it? No. Therefore, when you kill it, what happens? It's considered to be meta. And Allah says in the Quran, there's nothing I find that is haram except for some that's meta. So meta is a dead animal that you're not allowed to eat. It's haram. It's a major sin to eat it. Dead animals. What do you mean by dead animals? Animal that was not? Slaughtered correctly. Is that clear, guys? Is that clear? Anyone not understand? Anyone not understand? The liquid of any animal. Yani the saliva of the animal. Any animal that's, that's not allowed to eat, the saliva is, is impure. But if you're allowed to eat it, then saliva is pure, like a camel. If a camel saliva goes on you, is that impure? No, because you're allowed to eat it. Is that The next one is blood. Blood is impure. Blood is impure. The next one is pus. Pus. You know when you have a spot and it pops, it's pus. Or you have an infection that comes out, pus. The next one is al-khamr. Liquid intoxicant. Any liquid intoxicant. Any liquid intoxicant. Whether it be alcohol or whether it be anything else. And there's a difference of opinion on blood. There's a difference of opinion on alcohol. There's a difference of opinion on a lot of these. Like in, this is a summary of what? Is impure and what's not impure. Is that clear, guys? Now, a nosebleed. Now, if a person has a nosebleed whilst in salah, for example, then a condition when it comes to blood, a small amount of blood is forgiven. 
So if you're able to control it, then it's forgiven. You can carry on praying. It's not considered to be impure. If you have a small cut on your finger, you can still pray. Small amount of blood is forgiven. It's a principle. So therefore, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> Which is blood that comes out when you slaughter the animal. You know, when you cut the animal, that blood that comes out, gushes out, that's impure by ijma'ah. No difference of opinion. Second type of blood that's impure is blood that comes out from the private part. Any blood that comes out from your private part is impure. And number three is the woman's menstrual blood. It's impure. Those three, no difference of opinion at all. And other scholars now, they say all blood is impure as well. Then he says, look what he says here. The impurities and how to purify them. So now we, we mentioned to you the impurities. Huh? So he says, The skin of a dead animal. The dead animal is impure, right? The whole dead animal is impure. So what about the skin of the dead animal? Is it impure? Yes, it's impure. Lakin tathuru, it becomes pure. How? With the process of dibagh. A dibagh is called tanning in English. They translate it as tanning. And what it is is to remove the hair and to use something, uh, a chemical, to remove it. To remove... It's a clean, you clean, use a chemical to clean it. And the Prophet said, That this skin, when he saw, um, when he saw a dead sheep, the companion, the Prophet said, Why don't you take this skin and you benefit from it? You can make clothes, leather with the skin, right? So the companions, they said, It's a dead animal. It died, just like that. It was a slaughtered animal. So the Prophet said, that water and these seeds they use, they, they use seeds and water and they used to make it into a chemical and they would, clean, they would use it to clean acidically, they would clean the, the skin of the animal. And then they can use it for the leather, for leather, you can make it shoes or whatever you want to make it with. So in that case, so therefore, the skin of any animal can become purified by a dibagh, by this process called a dibagh, tanning. Except for dog and pig. Dog and pig. So therefore, are you allowed to use dog and pig leather in your shoes? No, you're not. Sometimes there's shoes that have dog pig leather. Not allowed to use it. <laughs> nah, pig, no, never becomes pure. Nothing of pig ever becomes pure. Mm. The animals that are mate. Mate. Yeah, so those brushes that have bore bore bristles are not allowed to be used. Here he mentions that the alum, the bone of this dead animals, and the hair of the dead animal is impure, except for the human being. Yeah, and you find a dead animal, what can you use from this dead animal? Some of the scholars they say just the skin. That's what he says here. Now there's difference of opinion. Now he, he's saying you could just use the skin, you can't use the bones, and you can't use the hair, so the, the fur. Wallahu alam, the correct opinion is that you can use the skin and you can use the fur. But you cannot use the bones. And even some scholars say you can even use the bones. And so, Allah alam, you can use the skin and the, and the hair. Skin and the fur. Is that clear? Because the skin, we have the hadith. And the fur, it never has life in it anyway. As for the bones, it has life in it. So therefore you can't. It has life in it before it's died. So you can't use it, the bone. Canada goose? Canada goose? Yeah. <laughs> What's Canada, Canada goose? 
fur. Yeah, fur. If it is not dog or pig fur, it's fine. And you can use it. Huh? Yeah, it's coyote. 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 Yeah, it's coyote. Is coyote a type of dog or pig? Yeah. It's a canine. It's a canine, but it's not a dog. Is, is it a dog? It's a canine. A wolf is not a dog. No, no, a wolf is not a dog. A wolf is not considered to be a kalb. If it's not kalb, if it's not considered to be a kalb, it's a, canine, it's a whole different animal. Then it's, yeah, it's fine. Even if it's canines, remember we said that these animals, even if it's dead, like a tiger skin for example, you see a tiger, you see a tiger, you can use a tiger skin, you just have to do a, a debug. Any, any skin of an animal you can use, even if it's dead, not everything, you can use it, except for a dog and pig, as long as you do, a debug. Is that clear? Next winter. <laughs> Got a thousand pounds, yeah? Okay. Yeah, standard process. Water and removing the impurities using certain chemicals. And they even in the notes, he mentions here, phosphorate. Something like that. He says, نعم وملح متبلر واسمه الكيميائي the chemical name is كبريتات الألمونيوم يعني ألمونيوم صوفري فوسفري ألمونيوم صوفري والبوتاسيوم يعني سكمكو اسنون maybe it's bleach الله أعلم I don't know I never did I never did الله أعلم I don't know مشو the whole, skin, the whole skin, you, skin and hair, fur, you can use it as long as you do debug. As for bones, then no. Wallahu alam. And there's difference of opinion. So if you see someone using ivory, for example, is it fine or not? It's fine, inshallah, according to some scholars. Because ivory is the bone, the, the trunk, which is the bone. Taib. The next chapter is We're talking about utensils. We'll take that next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. بإذن الله تعالى بارك الله فيكم إذا question from the sisters we'll take it from then والله أعلم صلى الله عليه وسلم محمد وعلى آله وصحابه جميعا الحمد لله رب العالمين